This week, Paul and I interview Chris LG, technical engineer at CounterHack Challenges. In the news, Kubernetes instances are being hijacked around the world. Google is on a witch hunt for internal leakers, and malicious sites are abusing an 11-year-old bug in Firefox. Stay tuned for all that and more on this episode of Application Security Weekly. This is a Security Weekly production. Signal Sciences secures the most important web applications, APIs, and microservices of the world's leading companies, protecting over 7,500 applications and 150 billion production requests per week. Signal Sciences NextGen WAF and RASP help companies increase security and maintain site reliability without sacrificing velocity, all at the lowest total cost of ownership. Signal Sciences patented technology protects any application against any attack with integrations into any DevOps toolchain. Signal Sciences, demand more from your WAF. Learn more at signalsciences.com forward slash PSW. Rapid7 powers the practice of SecOps. Using shared data, analytics, and automated workflows, SecOps unites IT, DevOps, and security teams to make security an outcome of innovation. Rapid7 combines technology, expertise, and advocacy to drive vulnerability management, application security, incident detection, and log management for more than 7,000 organizations worldwide. Power up your SecOps practice with a free trial at rapid7.com forward slash security weekly. Welcome everyone to episode 43, our 44th episode of Application Security Weekly. I'm of course your host, Keith Hoodlett, and I'm excited to be joined once again by my illustrious co-host, Paul Asadorian. What's going on, Keith, and all of hey. you Application Security Weekly listeners? Hey, not a lot. Uh, dude, that uh, Patriots game yesterday though, oof, like what I didn't loss. watch it. Oh, what? Good. I had other things good. going on, and I was going to watch the recording. And what everyone told me is, "Don't bother." Yep. Nope. Yeah. That. That. You're. If you live in New England, uh, you probably were pretty disappointed by that. Uh, one quick announcement before we get into our interview: If you are interested in quality over quantity and having a meaningful conversation instead of just badge scans, join us April first to the third at Disney's Contemporary Resort for Infosec World 2019 where you can connect and network with like-minded individuals in search of actionable information. Use the excuse me, registration code OS19-SECWEEK for 15% off the main conference or world pass. With that, Chris is a technical engineer at CounterHack Challenges, as well as a plans and policies officer in the Massachusetts Army National Guard G6. Chris is a full-time husband, father of four, as well as a SANS community instructor, and again, as I said before, part-time army officer, as well as a backup church bass player. Interesting. He held certifications, uh, small amounts of cash, and a grudge against the EPA inspector who shut down the Ghostbusters containment unit. Chris LG, welcome to Application Security Weekly. Thank you so much, Keith. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. So I got to ask, there was once a Ghostbusters containment unit? <laughs> yeah, back in the 80s, um, funny story, actually, the guy who uh, who played the EPA inspector uh, for for months would walk around the city, New York City, and get dirty looks from people because they associated him with the character from the movie. That's really funny. No, really. That's too funny. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. So, Chris, you and I met at DerbyCon earlier this year. 
where you had a talk on building Burp Suite Pro modules to identify bugs. Specifically, the talk was called Burping Better, Finding Threats and Vulnerabilities with Burp Extensions. So I was actually hoping to have you talk a little bit about, uh, first, your experience with uh, building the Burp Extension. Of course, that is uh, a kind of an adventure into itself. But also, what got you into the whole process to begin with in terms of like why did you build it? What did you build as, a, as kind of an outcome? And of course, what did you find? Yeah, so I guess the maybe we'll start with the why, and that's something I call false negative anxiety. Uh, I don't think this is unique to pen testers. I've heard of, of uh, you know forensicators that have the same same issue where you, you think maybe there's something out there and you but you can't find it, and then you're really worried for your client that maybe you missed it. So uh, struts is one of those things for me where where maybe I'm afraid it's out there, maybe I'm afraid that they're they're vulnerable to it, and I want to make sure I can find it. So uh, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to have some uh, easy, even automatic way to check for it uh, while I'm doing a penetration test. Gotcha. Awesome. And so um, with that, maybe going back a little bit as well for, for our listeners. So obviously, you've got the ability to build a tool because you have and you've built the, the BERT plugin for this. Um, how did you get started in, uh, I guess, web application security assessments? Was it part of your role within the Army? Was it part of you know, previous work that you've done in the past. Um, like, where did you get started with that? And then from there, um, tell us a little bit about your adventures in, in learning to build the Burp tool. Yeah, thanks. So, uh, you know, for, for a long time, I was active duty with the, with the National Guard uh, as, as an Army guy. And I did a bit of red teaming and that kind of thing. But I, I really had the, the bug to go and, and be a full-time pen tester. So uh, a company right local here in Maine, uh, Sage Data Security, they gave me that opportunity and as part of regular duties, uh, involved a lot of web app pen testing. So I uh, got into doing doing that kind of thing. Got interested actually in some of the struts bugs by playing the 2017 holiday hack. I thought it was really cool. It was a neat way to get a, a shell on somebody else's web server. Um, so it got me thinking about uh, about how I can find that in clients' environments. So uh, I thought through a bunch of different ways to do it because there, there are plenty of Python scripts out there that will look for specific vulnerabilities if you give them a vulnerable URL, um, but I, I need something more, uh, more kind of all-encompassing. So I'd really fallen in love with, with Burp Suite Pro. It's a great web app testing tool. And uh, as you're going through it, it, it spiders out your whole site, right? It's, it's got a full listing of every URL that you've seen on it so that when you want to run a scan for something, it can just hit every single URL that, that you and the tool are aware of. So uh, that's one uh, kind of, I don't want to say surefire way, but it's, it's a much more reliable way than just you know random Python script firings. Um, I, I had no idea how to program an extension for Burp. As far as I knew, it was all Java, and, and Java is kind of gross, and I didn't want to do any of that. But a coworker of mine, a guy named Andrew Sylvia, said, hey, just, you know, just code it, start with something. So uh, I actually started with a, an open source plugin that was already out there called ActiveScan++, something written by uh, a web app wizard, James Kettle, and uh, sort of modeled what I needed to do after what he had, and then incorporated pieces of those Python scripts um, so that each time I checked the URL, it would, it would run checks for each of these things. Um, and then while I was in there, I also added a, a check for um, XXE vulnerabilities via, via post. Um, because that's something that you see every once in a while. And it's something that when you think to test for it, it's not hard to do, but you don't always think of it. So I wanted to be part of that automatic methodology I had in pen testing. So as you were building out the tool and kind of, you know, iterating on um, making sure that it worked well, did you set up kind of local test environments uh, that were vulnerable to this as part of maybe your test suite to confirm that the tool you were building was working the way that you wanted to? How did you actually kind of go through the rigor of making sure you were finding the vulnerabilities that you intended to be looking for as part of that process? 
Yeah, absolutely. So that that involves uh, really finding vulnerable VMs or Docker instances or whatever I could get, uh, loading them up in uh, VMware on the on the laptop, and just firing these these tests at each of these instances, seeing what's what gets caught in each of them, and uh, and and having a good feel for what comes back in terms of output, uh, so that I, so that I know I'm catching it when it's actually there. Uh, and, and a lot of that actually, uh, I, I got to thank the uh, the Burp Collaborator tool. It's a, it's a neat sort of external um, server that sits outside your test box and in the client machine uh, to to be a kind of a catcher of external interactions. So that when you're when you're firing something uh, at a client site that has uh, say you know uh, external DNS interaction or to look up a, a web page that that collaborator page reports back to you that, that you've got that uh, successful code execution. Now, in, in terms of testing as well, did you ever find that you had instances of maybe false positives that came back and you're like, I know that that shouldn't be vulnerable, but it's telling me it is. I, I know that that's one of those things as well. Again, uh, as, as security professionals, the false negative is, of course, one of those looming things that you always worry about, because if, if someone ends up getting hacked by it you know, later, it, it kind of comes back to bite you. Um, but I know that from a developer side, false positives is is kind of the bane of their existence. And I just don't, you know, I don't know if during your test suite, you, you know, found that, hey, wait a minute, this actually shouldn't be vulnerable, but it's saying it is. Actually, I, I had the good fortune of not having any false positive issues with it. The, the way the check and collaborator work are each time it sends a, a payload that, that might be triggering command execution, there's a unique identifier to it uh, so that when the, the tester's uh, Burp Suite app uh, pulls the collaborator, it, it looks for each of those IDs. And, and unless one of those IDs has passed through your client web server uh, up to the uh, collaborator, then, then it won't bring a, a, a false positive. Nice. And and so with uh, the check for the, the threats vulnerabilities, did you also incorporate the one that came out more recently this year as well, again, like just before DerbyCon, maybe a month or so before? Or was this more for the, the one that came out last year that also hit Equifax? Yeah, great question. So there have been a few of them, and we don't need to go through the CVE numbers, uh, but uh, there was, you know, basically, yeah, the Equifax one was the first really well-known one. And there was already a check in ActiveScan++ for that one. So I added one for uh, the two subsequent uh, flavors of, of remote code execution, one of which was from the 17 holiday hack, uh, and, and then got that up and running. And then after the tool was published on GitHub, and this, by, by the way, was my first contribution to anything uh, on GitHub. So it was, it was kind of a new experience, too. Um, the new one came out. It was like a you know 11,000 series number. And someone someone posted in the project, hey, uh, is this going to be able to, to be caught by this plugin as well? Uh, so I think, cool, people are actually using it. And hey, this is an easy thing to add in. So I uh, added it in. And then uh, James Kettle approved it. And, and poof, it's part of the tool now. That's awesome. That's totally awesome. Now, uh, you've been mentioning it a couple of times, and, and I don't know whether or not uh, much of our audience is familiar with the holiday hack challenges. Can you, uh, for example, last year's, can you talk a little bit more as to uh, what that is and, and how you got into it and maybe where it lives as well? Because I know that you also got some announcements or some, some things that you can talk a little bit about at a high level uh, coming up this week. Yeah, so before I got into uh, working for Counter Hack Challenges, I was a big fan of this this game they make every year uh, called the Holiday Hack Challenge. And from 2015, 16, and 17, I, uh, I played through each of them uh, completely, submitted answers at the end. And uh, and what each of them are, these, these kind of... Um, these hack, a series of hacking challenges modeled around a story, modeled around a, a game uh, where um, where our our, uh, our chief, Ed Scotus, he comes up with some 
some scenario where Christmas is threatened and and uh, Santa needs help of the uh, of the hacking community to come and, and figure out what's going on. And it's it's not just pen testy stuff. There's all kinds of uh, there's always some forensics. Uh, there's there's ab- absolutely some application security stuff, and um, uh, it, it's a neat it's a neat game where where you can go and, and learn things and then uh, see what other people come up with at the end. Uh, and in, in most of the time, too, in, in most years, there'll be uh, an online environment where you can walk around and uh, chat with other with other players at the same time. So a really fun way to learn, uh, and it's actually been used uh, in at least one college course as their curriculum. Uh, because just one year's challenges will be enough to to fill a, a semester of a class. That's awesome. Now, with the 2017 Holiday Hack Challenge, there was a lot based on Node, and if I recall correctly, also a bit of Docker as well. Um, what were kind of the the big technologies that you found were really interesting, especially again as you were scaling up for this? Um, any any particular challenges in there that uh, for the 2017 challenge you really enjoyed? Yeah, the one that really caught my attention, of course, was the struts vulnerability because uh, it was just, it's always neat when you can get a shell on somebody's web server, right? It's it's fun to do an internal test where you can hop around from system to system, but usually on external tests, there isn't as much uh, of the juicy stuff there. So when you get something like that where, where you can get a C prompt on, on someone else's machine, that's great. So uh, so to, do, to hit most of the challenges in 17, you actually had to have uh, command execution on this one uh, external facing server, and then that had an internal interface that would let you pivot through to touch uh, more of the internal system. So uh, that one definitely caught my attention. Uh, but the Docker stuff is neat too. It's it's a it's a good way to uh, kind of build a challenge that's you know that's set around a Linux terminal, where uh, maybe there's some specific objective to find a file or to change something uh, or to figure out what happened, and uh, and it's all contained in, in a little. Um, you know, stateless, uh, a Docker terminal. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, um, for this year, I know that I, I don't want you to give it away per se, but, um, what has it been like transitioning from, from being uh, a player hacker to a developer at counter hack? Uh, are, are there any kind of like, what, what's the day to day? Like, I can only imagine it's kind of like, you know, being elves in, in Santa's workshop as it were. Yeah, it's kind of magical and awesome. I mean, on the one hand, it's it's a little disappointing to not be able to play. In fact, last year uh, I included the whole family in in my submission. We we uh, my my answer wasn't just like a technical write up. It was it was actually a parody of "Baby It's Cold Outside," and my wife and I sang it, uh, put it to music, and made a video with with the kids. So uh, when I when I told the kids I had this cool new job, their first question was. Well, do we still get to play the holiday hack? Oh, they do. You We have no chance of winning now. Right, <laughs> they're disqualified from winning, but they can still play. Absolutely, absolutely. The oldest is nine, and he's starting to get, to get interested. And he's actually done a little bit of Python coding, so that's that's exciting. Warms my heart. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, for this year, are, are there any um, maybe tips or tricks that you can give? I know. Again, I don't want you to give it away. So if you can't, no pressure. But just just curious to know. Yeah, this one, I will tell you, there's a lot to this one. I think, uh, I think each year the team tries to be more and more ambitious, and this year is, is no exception. Um, yeah, uh, to answer a different question, <laughs> uh, let me just say that, yeah, the day-to-day is, is uh, it's, it's neat. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of high pressure, but not, not that, like, not that uh, Ed or CounterHack or Sans is putting pressure on us, but just we want this to be an outstanding product. Uh, and we want everybody to enjoy it and learn a lot from it. So, you know, we have, uh, you know, here, here getting close to launch, we've got meetings every day, uh, even, even through this past weekend, just, just checking on everything, making sure that the issues are getting solved, that all the features are in. Um, because, again, we want it to be something uh, awesome that people get a, a kick out of. Um, and if I haven't mentioned it, by the way, also, it is, it is completely free. 
And, and there are a couple of good prizes, including uh, two SANS classes. That's awesome. Now, uh, beyond just the holiday hack challenge as well, so so what other sort of things, uh, and I know the answer to this, but what other sort of things does Counter Hack actually do? Because uh, Ed, being who he is, is, is you know very um, well-known in the SANS community for SANS training, um, but what other sorts of things does Counter Hack actually put together uh, through the rest of the year? Because I imagine that there will be people listening that say, hey, wait a minute, we've got training budget coming up in, in 2019 and they might want to participate in things beyond the Holiday Hack Challenge. Yeah, and obviously, we, you know, we've got a hand in the, in the whole uh, pen test curriculum uh, working, with, working with that as we do. Um, but uh, one, of the, uh, one of the main products that, that we put out actually is uh, NetWars. Uh, so once, uh, once Santa's all set with us, once CrinkleCon is off and running, uh, we'll be able to get back to, to that. Um, I'm, I'm looking especially at NetWars core tournament uh, trying to build the next version of that. Um, Jeff McJunkin has built the last couple, and they've been they've been great fun. Uh, if somebody goes to a Sand con- Sands conference now and and plays Net Wars uh, core tournament, they'll play uh, Jeff's uh, Jeff's vision the uh, the Star Wars uh, Net Wars, where again it's it's a big collection of challenges. There's some forensics, some defense, uh, appsec stuff, and pen testing, uh, where 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 uh, students can come and try those skills out. So so Net Wars is a big thing. Uh, some some smaller projects too, like uh, Cyber City uh, Net Wars. Uh, uh, continuous, and we also do pen testing as well. We have some some really neat clients on the pen testing side, uh, but but Ed will tell you we we mostly do that just to get better ideas for for hacking challenges. I love it. I love it. Paul, do you have additional questions as well? I don't. Awesome. I don't. Um, awesome. Ed, Ed's also coming on the show next week or the, Thursday. Thursday, right? This, this, this Thursday, yeah, yeah. this week uh, to talk about it. So, well, yeah, we may awesome. we may get some more information, but. Mostly we'll just get kind of uh, color and style and things like that. <laughs> Not necessarily more information, but it'll be fun. Awesome. So uh, with that, uh, unless there's any other additional questions, uh, are you ready for Application Security Weekly's five questions? I think I am, Keith. Awesome. So first of all, what were the specs like on your first computer? Uh, you know, I should have looked this up. My, my first computer was an Apple IIGS. I'm sure it had like kilobytes of RAM, uh, but it was, it was a pretty sweet machine that I was fortunate to have. And then, of course, uh, when you were on your Apple IIGS, or maybe, you know, sometime shortly thereafter, may it rest in peace, uh, what programming language did you learn first? Yeah, it came with a book for AppleSoft Basic. So that was the first thing I learned. Uh, it, I remember there was kind of a trick to get actually getting to a prompt where you could start uh, coding things. Like you, you couldn't just... It, Kids, it didn't have a hard drive. It only booted off floppies. So mm-hmm. uh, you'd have to boot up something else like Lemonade Stand or whatever and then and kind of exit out to get to, to program a little bit. But yeah, AppleSoft Basic was my first language. And so today, is it Python? Are there any other additional languages that you're playing with as well? Or uh, is kind of Python the go-to? Yeah, mostly it's Python 3 right now. Yep. Gotcha. And then, of course, pulling you into the Holy Wars. Uh, first, Vim or Emacs or VI, I guess. Uh, I'm ashamed to say this, but uh, I, I'm really kind of a nano guy. Sorry. Well, that ends the end. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, honestly, if it's a tool that works for you, then hey, by all means, right? I'm a Visual Studio Code guy, uh, but that's because I'm using Vim key bindings in it. So I don't know. Um, the next yeah. one, though, is very important regardless. Spaces or tabs? Uh, 
Yeah, so I actually prefer uh, tabs, but most most programs I'm working with already have spaces in them because I'm editing somebody else's stuff. So I've, I've just kind of grown to using spaces, but I like doing two at a time, not four, because I, I feel like it just gets too stretched out with, with four spaces every time. You know, JavaScript developers would welcome you with open arms. Like the two spaces <laughs> is definitely a JavaScript convention that I've seen. And for me, I'm a four spaces guy and it's like, this is unreadable. And then I have to go in and format everything. It's just, it's a mess. Mm -hmm. So. <laughs> Regex will help of you. Of course. Right? I'm sorry, go ahead. Regex will help you, right? You can set it to whatever you want. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. Find replace. Um, or, you know, the the auto editing uh, stylized things that they have plugins for. I just let it do its magic. Um, last thing, though, and especially given your pen testing background, Chris, what sort of advice would you give to newcomers in the industry? I think the biggest thing really is just to find something you're interested in and, and play with it. Um, one of the things that, that I know. Um, a lot of employers ask is what does your home lab look like, right? If you don't have a, an answer to that, uh, then I think it, it shows that you, you're not terribly interested in what you're doing and maybe it's just more of a job for you. And and uh, most of us in this field who've been in it for any amount of time really love it and we want to bring more people into the field who are excited about it. So I think I think just play and, and have your own home lab. I, I couldn't agree more. I, most of our listeners know the story where I, I brought pictures of my server rack that was in my mom's living room where I was living still at home uh, at the time. And it was all like sun systems and SGI systems and stuff. Absolutely. So I, I know we have a little bit extra time and usually I ask the five questions last, but um, it, it's funny that you mentioned the, the home lab because that is actually the first question I almost always ask all the people that I talk to on interviews is what your home lab is like. Um, and since we have a few extra minutes, Chris, what does your home lab look like? Like what do you got going on these days? <laughs> Top secret uh, you know, now. Actually, if, if the webcam reached, I, and it almost would, I'd, I'd show you. It's just around the corner, but uh, it's it kind of evolves. Uh, it's had a, a Cisco twenty eight hundred series router in it. Uh, right now, it's running PFSense on a little box. I've got a uh, a one an old one U server that actually has a floppy drive in it that I play with sometimes. Uh, most of what I use now is just uh, living in VMware, and it's everything from different Linux builds to a couple of Windows Server instances, uh, just because that's easy and I can bring it with me anywhere and, and keep playing with it. So. Um, oh, and then also I had a, I had a, a security onion box, uh, because I think it's neat to do packet capture on your, your own network and see that your, uh, see that your cameras are actually reaching out to Hong Kong and Turkey, but, uh, I needed a Plex server. So that's been repurposed, but I hope to bring uh, security onion back. You know, Chris, it's funny you say that my security onion box was repurposed, uh, last week as well. For, for Plex or? No, not for, it's, it was, well, a lot of my lab is now here at the studio, so it's like one of our Zoom machines now. It's really boring. Oh, it yeah. runs Windows now. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, he sacrificed oh. it for the greater good. I did. Good. I did. I had like... to sacrifice it for the greater good. So <laughs> We are able to deliver uh, these Christmas. podcasts to everyone based on Paul's sacrifices. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Always new stuff, hardware and stuff, you know, that we, we get our hands on. So repurposing some awesome. other stuff. And with that, we are going to take a short break and then come back with the news. Stay tuned. <laughs> 